In John chapter 14 and starting at verse 8, um, Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence uh, of the works themselves. Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me anything in my name, and I will do it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So thank you very much, uh, Martin, for reading those uh, verses for us. Uh, do keep your Bibles open, if you have them there, at uh, page 1082. If you're a regular here, it would have made sense. If you're not a regular, it's like just opening a door and glancing in for a few minutes halfway through a conversation. But I hope we'll still t- uh, together um, make some sense of it. But as we begin, uh, let us pray. Father, we give you thanks for your word. We give you thanks for the coming of your spirit. And we pray that you'll speak through me now. My words will be for your glory and for the coming of your kingdom. Amen. So once again, I find myself speaking on a passage which seems to speak of learning, maybe of school, maybe once again of homework that we've returned to so many times. I'm sure that at some point, even if it was some while ago, you must have been what is now called a learning situation. School, college, U3A course, maybe your children or grandchildren or nieces or nephews have taught you about computers. Or even, as we are now, maybe a sermon or a talk is a learning situation. And I suspect that at some point, the person teaching or speaking or demonstrating will have said, now you all understand that, don't you? You sit there quietly, carefully looking round at your fellow learners, knowing that you're not sure that you do understand, but not wanting to admit this in front of others. Then suddenly a voice hesitantly pipes up, Well, I think I do, but perhaps you could just go over it one more time. The relief, the nervous buzz of chatter, the tension released as everyone realises they were not the only ones who didn't really understand. 
And this seems to be the situation in our reading from John's Gospel. Jesus knows that his time on earth is drawing to a close and that he must prepare the disciples so that they can take on the work of preaching the good news of the coming of the kingdom. But Jesus knows they're not ready, or at least he knows they don't feel that they're ready. They still have questions, not just questions that will delay Jesus' inevitable departure, but questions that need answers if the disciples are to step into an unknown future. With immense patience, Jesus not only answers their questions, but then adds two more layers of support, help, assurance, and comfort. First, he assures them that after he has returned to his father, he will still be with them. And second, he promises to provide further guidance for them as they take their work forward. Those with long memories for undemanding game shows We'll remember back to the 1970s and 321 presented by Ted. Ah, I wasn't even going to risk going there. <laughs> presented by Ted Rogers and Dusty Bin. Well, our points to look at this evening can be summarised as 321. Three questions, two counsellors, and being one with Jesus. But hopefully that'll be the only connection with the game show. Everyone will get a prize at the end. No one will be awarded Dusty Bin. It was, it was an awful game show. Don't even watch it on YouTube. <laughs> but let's begin with our three questions. Not exam questions, as Jesus will give us the answers. And although it's three questions, we're focusing just on the third question, the one that Philip asked in verse 8. David last week covered the first and second questions, but here is a reminder. Question one was Simon Peter asking, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where am I I am going? You cannot follow now, but you will follow later. And John 13, 36. Then as we moved on last week into uh, the words just before we started today, chapter 14, verses five to seven, we have our second question. This time it's Thomas who speaks up. Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And it's Jesus' reply to Thomas's question that seems to prompt Philip to take his turn and put his question. So our passage starts with the disciples still very uncertain, still not understanding. They've asked about the destination. They've asked about the route. And now it's all about what they'll see or hope to see at the end. So many questions, but still no understanding. This time the lack of understanding is voiced there by Philip. And so he asks that third question. Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. A reasonable request, one I suspect we may feel a great deal of sympathy with. I just had one more piece of evidence I would know for sure but there seems to be a real sense of sadness in Jesus reply don't you know me even after I've been with you for so long the group are there in the upper room with Jesus they've listened to Jesus for three years they spent time trying to make sense of what he said in the past not once but three times he's spoken of his suffering and the need to die 
They spend time there in the upper room trying to make sense of his words, spoken a few minutes earlier about going away to prepare a place for them. And not only going away, but being the way to where he's going, of being the way to God, not a path, but a way, not a gate, but a way in. The disciples know the time is short, only a few days or hours or minutes, and still so much to find out. And we know from our own lives, from those around us, that coming to know who Jesus is can take a really long, long time. Coming to understand that he's infinitely more than a teacher, more than a leader, more than a healer. Coming to understand that he is God's son, sent to our world to be sacrificed for us, so that we can be set free to have a complete and loving relationship with God and to feel his inner peace. Jesus knows the disciples are looking for a tangible sign, something they can feel or hear. Show us the way, show us the Father. So to help their understanding, Jesus ends by saying, at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves in verse 11. They'd seen Jesus in action. They'd seen him raise Lazarus from the dead. They'd seen water turned into wine. They'd seen 5,000 people fed on a few loaves and fish. But still they didn't understand. Jesus tells them and us to look at the evidence as well. This is not to confuse us still further but to help us to see and understand. To understand we need to see that the miracles, we need to see the miracles for what they truly are. They're not clever tricks to bamboozle people or to impress them. And each trick, uh, not, sorry, um, not to trick them, but each miracle has a depth of meaning. They were done there as signposts, pointing to who Jesus is, pointing to the fact that he is God, pointing to the promised kingdom, pointing to his own death and resurrection, pointing to the heavenly kingdom where there is always food, the bread of life, and always living water to drink, where there is no death or pain or sadness, signs and miracles pointing the way so that we truly know who Jesus is, that he is one with the Father and one with the disciples. But Jesus knows they might need more help, and so let's look at our second point, and two counsellors. Given that it's Pentecost, where we're celebrating the coming of the Holy Spirit on the first disciples, I've taken the liberty of straying into next week's verses. We'll only look at one verse, verse 16, and I hope I don't tread too far into John's sermon next week when he looks at verses 15 through to 31. In verse 16, we have a great promise from Jesus. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counsellor to be with you forever the spirit of truth. Think back for a moment to the verses that we heard Margaret read from Acts at the start of our service. Amazing words where we heard in detail about the reaction of those listening to Peter and the other disciples on that day of Pentecost. Jesus knows that even if the disciples had been able to ask and understand not three questions but 300 questions, they were still going to be unsure. They might finally work out who he is, which Jesus knows they will finally do after the resurrection and after his extra teaching between the resurrection and the ascension. But Jesus knows that what they'll need to understand and to do so that they can preach the good news to the ends of the earth is going to be too much for them if they're left on their own. And so Jesus promises to ask his father to give them an advocate, a counsellor, to help them and be with them forever. 
And on the day of Pentecost, the disciples received the Holy Spirit. And after them, many others received the same Spirit when they've committed themselves to knowing and loving and obeying Jesus. But you may think, why is this part of the seven-headed two advocates? Surely there is only one. Well, Jesus' words are clear. He speaks of another counsellor or advocate. And if we stop to look for a moment at the context of the words, we can see why it's another one and not just one. Jesus is going away after teaching, leading, supporting, loving the disciples, after being alongside them but challenging them as a counsellor might do. Now with his work on earth nearing completion, Jesus promises that when he's gone, he'll make sure they're not left on their own. Jesus knows they're not ready to be left on their own, perhaps acknowledging that the disciples there in Jerusalem and those who would follow after, including us, may never be ready completely. The disciples and we will always need God's help. Jesus' support to preach the good news, to live as disciples of Jesus. And so Jesus promises that another will take his place. And this is fulfilled a few weeks later at Pentecost, which we celebrate today. So back to our verses for today. And apologies again to John for trespassing into his, his verses. Having looked at three questions and two counsellors, let's turn to verses 12 to 14 and look at being one with Jesus and one with the Father. They're not easy verses to grasp the meaning of. They have a great potential to be misunderstood. So I'll read the words once again. Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. They're not a guarantee that everything we as humans ask for or hope for will happen. They're tied to our relationship to Jesus and so to God the Father. Tied to our trust in both Father and the Son as we pray in Jesus' name. And prayers in Jesus' name are prayers that are offered in thorough accord with all that Jesus' name stands for. They're requests for the kingdom and for the glory of the Father. They are not for our own glory. Though God's glory and the love of God for his people may well be seen through what we ask for. They are requests that become more natural as we become more one with Jesus and so one with the Father. The disciples will find that once Jesus has risen from the dead and the new age, the new kingdom has become, that as they do the Father's will, then great and amazing things will happen. If we have faith and trust, and if we're looking to do the Father's will, as we'll say in our Lord's Prayer later on, your will be done, then through prayer and through believing and trusting in Jesus, we too can see great things happening. Things that will grow the kingdom, things that will bring good news to those still in darkness, things that will strengthen the community of God's people, will bring glory to God as the kingdom of God is glimpsed here on earth. Though, of course, it's only a glimpse through a slightly open door until Jesus returns in glory. And the things asked for in Jesus' name will be seen as greater than those of Jesus because they're seen clearly against a framework of Jesus' death and resurrection. Always easier to look back against that than for the disciples who were looking on. 
They can be seen as signs of the kingdom as it grows on earth, as more and more disciples are gathered into the community. And that the community of believers has grown and continues to grow is undeniable. From 120 disciples at the time of Jesus' ascension to more than 3,000 by the day of Pentecost, and now to more than 2.3 billion, 30% of the world's population. But there is always space for more, and through discipleship and through our lives, our actions, our witness, we should be working to bring all of Chesham and beyond under God's rule. So we should draw to a close there. What should we take away from our passage as we gather around the Lord's table, as we go out into the week ahead? Today we've been able to celebrate the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. We've also celebrated the Queen's Platinum Jubilee. In the Old Testament, Jubilee has a very particular meaning, not just the celebration of a king or queen's reign after 25 years or 50 years or 60 years or even 70 years, but a time when, according to the book of Leviticus, slaves and prisoners would be set free, debts would be forgiven, the mercies of God would become particularly apparent. But through Jesus, his death and resurrection, his ascension to sit once again with God the Father, and the promise of another counsellor for us, there is a jubilee on offer every moment of every day. We only need to turn to Jesus. We, like the disciples, may have questions and uncertainties, but the promise is sure. On that jubilee, our wrongs are forgiven. We are set free. The mercies of God flower and flourish and are seen in our changed lives. There may never be another Platinum Jubilee, and if there is one, definitely not in my lifetime. But God's Jubilee is always present for all of us. The chance of being one with Jesus and so one with God the Father is always there. We took the opportunity to celebrate the Queen's Jubilee. Let's celebrate today and every day God's Jubilee made possible through Jesus, our Lord and our Saviour. Amen.